right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Fired up to be back with you today, man. And today, we're actually talking some deep stuff, some layered stuff. Because a lot of people, you know, they it's easily to notice the technology and how things have changed. It just uh, evolutionary leaps in automobiles. Kevin, you've been witness this for so long. Technology in automobiles just uh, dramatically changing and shaping the way we sort of combine ourselves with the automobile and mobility getting to and from is changing nowadays less of a driving experience more of an office experience in some cases and places um it's been wild man technology has really shaped and changed the game so often a lot of people wouldn't believe the same thing has gone on in the oil industry yeah absolutely and being on the engine side development side right think about big blocks way back in the you know mid 70s 80s making 185 horsepower Right, and now we've got blown motors, Hellcats making 800, 1,000 horsepower from the factory. So, right, all the EcoBoost right. from Ford. I mean, you're getting power density in smaller and smaller displacements. Uh, and, and you're still working on the same surface area of bearings and whatnot, and right, all the rocker arms and everything that's dealing with all those internal pressures, all that internal heat. Uh, so the standards are going up so high, the performance is going up so high that you know, we've really tasked all the, uh, the oil companies to figure out how to give the OEs uh, better and better lubricants to keep all these parts from, you know, having metal, metal contact, having seizure, having premature wear, all these things. And then on top of that, you've got uh, extended oil changes, right? Instead of 3,000 miles, right? It's 5,000, 8,000, yeah, yeah. 10,000 Boeing plus. Uh, so now you have the longevity of the oil and all the bad chemistries and things from all the blow by and everything. Uh, that really put a hurt on it. Or, hey, Kevin, and, and you you skipped over a very specific category. Um, some people that don't know you actually have to change your oil. Case in point, I dated this girl, swear she was a brunette. She went like 82,000 miles on her car without changing oh, the oil because they said she had lifetime oil changes. So she took that as, I never have to change my oil. So yeah, man, I'm telling you, it's uh, it, it went 82,000 miles and believe it or not, Kia, uh, they warranted the wow. engine. They replaced it for her, uh, which I just, 
I couldn't believe, man. I couldn't believe it. Uh, but so basically, the oil came out of the engine the same way we take it out of the ground. <laughs> Screwed. <laughs> yeah, ba- yeah, basically. Uh, basically, that's Darren from Total Energies. Uh, he is their man. I got to tell you, we're going to learn a lot about oil. Uh, not all oils are created equal, you guys. Uh, and the more you learn about it, the more you educate yourself, the more you start to understand it, the whys and hows, and all of that's going to make sense in a matter of minutes. So let's take a break. We'll come back, tee it up next with Darren, Total Energies, my man Kevin Bird, I am Willie B, and this is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And, you know, Kevin, before the break there, we started to talk a little bit about technology and how it has truly shaped not just the automobile, how much power, performance, what we're doing with it now, but really how we're ingesting it, how we're using it. And it's wild because the same thing, as far as technology goes, has been incorporated in so many aspects that you don't see. People probably don't think about their oil, but... Man, has oil technology shifted in the last decade, two decades. Yeah, and as we talked before the break, it's had to, right? The power density, the performance has gone up, the displacements, the size, everything has gone down. So, you know, it's pounds per square inch kind of thing, right? So now you've got to have these oils do almost miracles. Uh, So luckily we've got... Uh, Darren Lazinski on here. He's the technical director for Total Energies. This is the fourth largest energy company in the world. Uh, so we're going to get some great insights on, you know, how the, the the engines and the platforms, the hybrids and everything are, are shifting. And there's kind of getting some segments in there that you might want to be aware of. You know, what are you driving? Uh, what part of the world is it from? Uh, and then obviously what sort of challenges that they've seen on their side trying to develop different oils, different formulations, because it's all about the ingredients that go in and how those things interact, you know, the ingredients themselves and how they bond and interact with the engine parts, transmission parts, etc. So uh, we've got a wealth of knowledge here from a guy who's been in the industry for 30 plus years. Uh, so this is going to be a, this is going to be a fun conversation. Hey, so Darren, tell us, explain a little bit about when we say different areas of the world, because Nowadays, you're just as likely to see an Audi or a BMW uh, on the roads here in Colorado as you would a Chevy or a Ford. So what oil changes compared to the regions and or uh, placement of, of where the car came from? Good question. Well, basically, there's governance, if you will, over the lubricant specifications. And they're professional societies. So we have API, American Petroleum Institute. They put out specifications. Uh, we have SAE, Society of Automotive Engineers. Then, of course, you have the Asian, um, you have the JASCO, you have ASIA, which is, uh, which is Europe. And right now, they're working together to come uh, to harmonize all those specifications from all those entities into one automotive specification. They're not there yet. Um, it's getting close, though, through ASTM, and I would guess that you'll probably see that within the next two to three years. What was this a one standard across the board? 
Yeah, well, one one governing standard across the board. It's, sure, it's, sure. it's become too complicated. And when you throw in the fact that the OEMs want to handle their own specifications, like, for instance, when the SP uh, category came out from um, API, uh, Ford wasn't happy with the phosphorus level, so there was some, some pushback. So uh, there's always, it depends on the hardware, just what you talked about, the engines themselves, uh, what the OEMs are comfortable with putting their signature on, what specification. Of course, we knew the pain of the whole SNSM Plus with the um, post-ignition knock, if, uh, if you will. Uh, that was satisfied with the SP. That's where we're at now. Then when you go to the diesel side, we rolled out the the CK designation. That was back about 2016-17. So to your point, it's evolving. The engines are changing. Metallurgy is changing. Higher pressures, higher temperatures. um, Smaller confinement as far as the engine compartments go. So it's it's an ongoing battle, but um, so far so good. We're being able to pacify the engines with, with the lubricant. How does the oil industry fight, you know, obviously nowadays the oil is so thin, it's got to get up to lubricate valve trains and components um, as fast as possible. How does, how does that dynamically change uh, the chemical makeup of, of oil? And what do you guys put in the oil to, to sustain a, a, a film on parts that need oil on a cold start? It's, it's actually very interesting because it goes back to um, – the development of high-speed bearings, um, basically in turbine, aeroderivative turbines. What I mean by aeroderivative, I mean aerospace, uh, jet turbine engines. They're rotating at high, such a high RPM um, with a high heat threshold in a, in a confined area. You have to come up with the right molecules to pacify because, of course, with aeroderivatives, there's a liability of the aircraft crashing. But So a lot of that technology, as far as the lubricant is concerned with synthetics has crossed over now into the engine oil manufacturing, um, or I should say formulation blending. Uh, we're looking more at polyol esters, which they were used in jet turbine technologies. We're using, uh, utilizing different phosphorus and sulfur technologies that were used in um, jet turbine technology. So there's a crossover right now happening. Um, now, and then if you add in what's going on with uh, the green energy aspects, there's um, other technologies regarding uh, we can now we have we have the ability now to uh, man man make base oil um, hydrocarbon straight chain hydrocarbon just like mineral oil so um, a lot's going on just from gathering the information from the past yeah it's weird to think that uh, you know because you think of crude oil you think you see it coming out of the ground it's black or whatever and you know it gets in the bottle and it's you know some syrupy color and you don't think much of it you think it's just oil right um but if you've ever been to you know a refinery if you've ever been to a, a you know an oil mixer where they take the base stock and as he was mentioning right the base stock is changing that's the flour when you're baking a cake right so the flour part the oil the basic oil part is changing and it's evolving and it's improving and then there's all these ingredients all the sugar the eggs you know all the bits that you would put into baking a cake to give it the flavor, the texture, all the things, the way it rises and behaves, it's squishy when you put on it, all these things. Uh, it's amazing how much technology and how much, you know, sort of development of the chemistry 
and how all those pieces, like I mentioned earlier, all those pieces have to kind of work together because you can put in something for like a, a detergent for cleaning, but it might keep something else uh, that was in suspension. You know, it might fall out of suspension and then it's not doing its job anymore. So you're fighting, I think, all sort of different aspects. So what are some of the biggest challenges there either on the base stock side or on the, the additive packages that you guys have to put together? I would say more of the challenges are coming from the additive side. The base soils are there, but the challenges not only are performance, but they're economic. So, and I know we're going to shift into talking about hybrids and stuff, but when you talk about the economies of scale, you know, when you go for a price uh, for a quarter a gallon of oil, in general here in the United States, we talk to the, uh, the English units, right? The, the gallon in the court, um, people are price sensitive. So that has to be kept in mind. That's why there is multiple specifications for not just mineral oil base, but for uh, semi-synthetic and synthetic. So the formulator has to keep that in mind. And the formulator also has to keep in mind that the additive technology used in the mineral oil, you're most likely used in the synthetic or a little bit more of it or tweak it to, uh, to make it work for whatever application you're going into. How, how does um, one you know, tweak said oil? <laughs> Just play some disco while you're doing it? What's the secret? Come on. <laughs> Actually, it's a balancing act of uh, zinc. Well, for the most part, it's uh, some elements there. Zinc, calcium, magnesium, uh, sulfur. Uh, it's a balancing act of how much is needed at the, at the high pressure and high temperature regimes. Um, which one of those molecules will plate out? There's a competition going on, believe it or not, between the base soils that are being used and the additive. It's a polarity issue. So that's why it's important that we have to know the metallurgy, not just in the bottom end, but in the top end. It's a very complicated regime. Um, the additive companies who supply a lot of the um, engine oil additive technology, uh, they do uh, reams and reams of engine testing. Um they do so much engine testing, it's mind-boggling um, from a year-to-year -year basis, not not just a, a generation. Like, for instance, not, we just came from SN to SP. Um, it's ongoing right now as we speak, the engine testing. Because, uh, like, again, metallurgy is uh, changing. Uh, there's more titanium being used. Uh, how, how does the metallurgy, how does the different metal material affect the film strength or the shearing or, or so forth. What, 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 how does that play out? It's well, as you guys know, as engine builders, it all, it's all about the finishing, the honing, right? The cylinder, uh -huh. um, the camshaft lobe surfaces, the bearing surfaces, but also it's the polarity of the elements that are in the engine oil and how they attract to the surface, basically negative, positive charges, right? And they happen under pressure. They disassociate under pressure. So that all has to come into play when a, formula, a formulary chemist looks at a formula and decides what to put in. Yeah, there's a thing, you know, it's called tribology, and it, it's really the, the mixing of uh, the metal itself, right, are the two joining surfaces and the lubrication. So you don't think of it as just what you put in the bowl when you're mixing the cake, you know, it's, it's how it interacts with the pan. Does it stick to the pan? You know, does it pop out when you're done out of the oven sort of thing? So yeah, as you said, there's some plating going on and there's, there's these, you know, phosphorus and zinc and things, magnesium that are in the oils that you want to bond, you know, and create sort of protective layers of sorts. And then you've got the oil itself that's trying to keep from shearing and breaking down and letting those surfaces touch 
and you're gonna get what they call asperity contact. So no surface is perfectly smooth. So under you know super high power microscopes, you'll see little peaks and valleys. And so you'll get asperities, which are those peaks. You'll get some contact. And what you don't want is for those to start welding and bunching up and balling, right? And that's catastrophic failure as it just goes kind of crazy. So you wanna be able to you know, have these little contacts and skim. So having little protective layers. So it, it's really interesting again with uh, you know, what, what you're kind of filling us in behind the scenes, uh, how this works. So, hey, why don't we take a quick break? Uh, this is getting pretty thick and heavy and, and pretty uh, interesting. Like the oil in his girlfriend's car. <laughs> yeah, I was almost almost word for word. I was going to say that exact same thing. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll come back and I'll have a different analogy because I got a question. All right, Darren, would you rather give me the answer after the break? Would you rather? Take a quarter 10W30, just a regular Valvoline 10W30 from like 1995, or 10-year-old used synthetic oil with 15,000 highway miles to put it in your vehicle. So you find a case of oil magically from 1995. It's never been opened, right? All right it's just regular 10W30, like something they'd recommend. Or you have a case of 10-year-old used synthetic oil with 15,000 highway miles on it. That's you got to put it in your vehicle. Yeah. You're going to tell us what you would choose after the break. Hold on. Think about it. We'll come back in just a second. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We have Darren on from Total Energies. He's the technical director. He's the guy that got to talk to you about chemistry. So I threw him a question. I said, okay, Darren, here's a question. Would you rather, all right, you're on a highway, something happened, you just did a repair on your car, you need a, a case of oil. And on the shelf, you got two choices. You got a case of 10W30 Valvoline from 1995. It's never been opened. Or for some reason, you have a 10-year-old <laughs> case of used synthetic oil with 15,000 highway miles on it. What oil are you putting in your vehicle? First, what vehicle? It's, it's the apocalypse because you get to choose any vehicle you want. And the highways <laughs> are smooth, baby, like butter. Uh, I guess a, a C6 Corvette. All right. What are, you what are you putting in a C6 Corvette? I'll go with the 1995. You're going with the oh, 1995 all right. 10W30. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now... It's funny because when you get the chemistry and oils and everything that's added to oils nowadays, you would be surprised the difference in the oil makeup and the chemistry of it. You know, from older oil that we used in the 80s and 90s to oil nowadays, it's, it's probably drastically different. Yeah. Um, that's why everybody's, uh, you know, on a, on a bottle or on a case, you'll see saps, low saps. Well, what does low saps mean? You know, sulfur, phosphorus. Uh, catalytic, uh, what's going out, you know, what's going out into the atmosphere post-combustion. Uh, you're polluting the environment, and that's what's being talked about the most right now. That's why we're going towards EV and hybrids and everything else. So when you release those sulfur, uh, sulfur compounds, uh, post-nitrogen compounds into the atmosphere, you're creating acids. So that's why they're lowering the amounts. What happens when you lower the amounts of the uh, sulfur and phosphorus? Because those sulfur and phosphorus molecules are branched onto what's called zinc diethylphosphate or zinc phosphates, and they're in a certain uh, molecular uh, bond that creates the anti-wear and the EP advantage for the engine oil in the engine. 
But when you start lowering that sulfur and phosphorus, you're basically lowering also the zinc. So you have to pacify it in another, uh, another way, another direction. So that's why there's other sulfur and phosphorus molecules coming into play to replace that lower level of zinc diethylphosphate or zinc aerophosphate, if you will. So that's basically the, the, simple, the simple explanation for that. Yeah, I was going to break it down almost exactly <laughs> like that, too. Well, you know, back in the day, right, we, we had ZDDP, right, in our oil. And, and that's what you, racers want, right? That's what they want to put in. So you don't get the scuffed camshafts and other things. And, yep. and that's been regulated out over many, many years. Uh, and yep. so, like I said, you're trying to figure out, well, what, what else can I use, right? You've handcuffed me. You've taken away all the good stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, thank God you don't need it anymore because of roller camshafts. You, you know, it's... Uh, much easier now um, it, versus the old flat tap and stuff where you needed that. But now you need additives for different things. You got to think about how quickly that oil has got to get up there and create that film against two metals, you know, wearing together. You talked about those disparities and, and everything it's asked, being asked to do. And oil, a lot of times people don't realize, but oil is also a part of the thermal management. A lot of oil is helping cool some of these hot spots. Right. And even in today's engines, um, well, you look at the LS6, um, yeah, all of the Dodge, uh, Solantis new, uh, well, the, the six, their 6.1. Um, guys are still asking for 1,200 part per million zinc, which is the sweet spot for um, added, um, for pacification, if you will, of the cam, the, the high end and the lower end, uh, the crank. Everybody wants a 1,200 part per million or higher. Um, right now, um, with, the, with the SAPS technology going on, you're looking at about 900 part per million zinc. So the very first question, we go to swap meets or cruiser nights or whatever, car shows, oh, you got 1,200 part per million in oil. That's, a, that's the first thing they ask you. And that's why, because of that. But even, and even if you don't have the, the flat tappets, they're still asking for the 1,200 part per million zinc because it's, it's ingrained in their, in their minds that that's what they need to pacify that engine in race applications. When you're on the street, hot rodding it, when you're, you know, you're dropping it, at the red light racing somebody, they still, everybody still thinks when you um, are at that pressure level, when you when you drop, when you're dropping that, uh, that hammer down, you're going to need that 1200 part per million zinc to pacify. It's not really the case anymore. There's other uh, molecules that are being used in, in, including the base stocks that'll pacify. So, um, but again, like I said, it's uh, every, it's in everybody's mind to get that zinc level as high as possible. Has boost been the, the single biggest contributor to these dynamic kind of changes in the oil chemistry in the last decade, a decade and a half, it seems like everything boosted now, man, you really got to get after it. You know, it's, and I don't want to talk about um, each car manufacturers uh, way they manufacture their, their four cylinder engines. Cause for the most part, the, the boosted engines are the four cylinder ones. Um, some of them have more robust, uh, infrastructure uh, architecture as, uh, as as compared to others. So I don't want to talk about that, but you're correct. That's where this all comes in from is the turboing of the four cylinder engines across the board, whether you're BMW, GM, Ford, that's where this whole issue popped up over the last, uh, what, five, six years or so. Well, you throw that challenge with the next challenge and the OEs are all pushing for lower and lower viscosity, right? Because as you mentioned earlier, right, there's what's coming out the tailpipe, you're, you know, you're burning small amounts of oil, et cetera. You're, you're poisoning the catalyst. It's not working as well. All those things. Now you try to get thinner and thinner oil to get bitter, bigger, uh, fuel economy gains, right. And performance as well, right. From all the friction and drag. So 
you know, now you're, now you're trying to work with essentially water to try to carry these bigger and bigger loads. Right. Uh, I mean, oils now are in the zero W15 and going below, like, zero w15 right we used to put straight 40 <laughs> in our hot rod engines yeah, yeah. back in the day loaded with zdd guys would run 50 way bros nitrous guys ran 20 w50 right Man, you gotta be kidding me <laughs> right and now these turbo engines and yeah they're they're smaller but their power output the power density is is yeah. higher than probably anything we ran back in the day uh running you know almost water with Again, the handcuffs are taking out all the good, you know, ingredients and additives and stuff in there. So it's it's been interesting. Yeah, now it's all about the it's all about the RPM, um, less drag on the crank, and how do you get less drag? Well, you lower the viscosity of the oil. That's based. That's it's. I know it sounds very simplistic, but that's that's the whole game. So what sets you guys so so uniquely apart from so many other companies out there? What are some main things that you feel like are home runs for you guys that? not a lot of people are thinking about or doing. To answer that in a general way, I think from a global perspective, it's the quality of our oil. Um, we have a very sick um, amount of additive base oil specification that we require. We have to have our uh, vendors and suppliers sign off on tight specifications. So it's the quality of the oil, what goes into the oil, and, what, and actually the finished product of the oil specification that comes out. Um, it's a tight quality. You'd be very surprised if you um, just pull a random quarter gallon bottle off a shelf and have send it into a, um, a private lab for testing. You'd be quite surprised what you get, yeah, what you come back with. Um, and I'm not saying uh, other companies are, are, are not meeting specification, but I could say for Total Energies is that we abide by the specification set forth by APISAE and others, of course, ACIA and um, and JASCO, and um, we hit that specification. We basically go towards the middle of the specification for all of the grades, whether it be a 530, a 520, a 018, 020. Um, our, and to that point, we have to send in qualifying samples to all the engine manufacturers to get certified and approved. So uh, GM Dexos, uh, Ford, um, what have you, uh, we send our samples in and get them qualified. And that's a big thing. Like you don't think about, but make a batch of cookies or a, bake a cake and then make another batch and see if they come out exactly the same. Maybe you, maybe you cooked them an extra minute or two, or the temperature was off a little bit, or you, you didn't make the cookie as thick or as big. And so every cookie is going to be a little bit different. And uh, as you said, I mean, you hear about it in gasolines as well, like from pump to pump, you can go take samples yeah. and from one day to another day or another week at the same pump, you're going to see variations in quality and, and, you know, the specifications on gasoline. So, uh, you know, maintaining those standards on oil, I can see being just as absolutely critical. So you don't get a, you know, let's whatever, a weaker batch or a strong batch uh, for your yeah. application. Yeah. So you find out that first cookie was an edible. Yeah. <laughs> so anything else that you guys um are doing that you feel like is just kind of putting you on top of the game well we're at the forefront right now of working with oems on uh, ev or as they call them hevs um, we're also involved with the hybrids um and gas actually um so uh, we have work going on across the board approvals um because we're not, no one's quite sure where this whole thing is going to end up as far as how many 
EV cars were in the marketplace, how many hybrids were in the marketplace, so on and so forth. So uh, we're involved in everything. We have um, we have work going on in the R&D labs uh, for, with hydrogen. Um, we have work going on with uh, more of the more exotic base oils uh, from uh, anaerobic digestion. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy what's going on right now. But um, I guess the biggest thing for us right now is uh, the move towards EV and with the hybrids and the gas. Uh, we're involved with a propane-filled uh, natural gas uh, fuels. Um, we have a we purchased twenty. Well, now it's it's twenty five percent of clean energy here in the United States who utilize uh, natural gas to fuel um, Cummins diesels on uh, trucks that are running um, coast to coast. So we have a lot of involvement with improving the world in regard to the energy, uh, lowering that carbon footprint. So we have a lot going on. Yeah, man, stay intact with it. Stay in tune with it. Where do people follow you and find you on social media? And such uh, such places where they can find all the resources you guys are using. Yeah, TotalEnergies.com. TotalEnergies.com. That's it. TotalEnergies.com. You guys, find them there, TotalEnergies.com. And social media? Yeah, TotalEnergiesUS. TotalEnergiesUS. There you go, man. Find these guys, man. They do amazing stuff. Uh, you can actually see the difference compared, you know, side-by-side side with other oil. Uh, TotalEnergies.com is where you find them online. Total Energies US on all the social media handles. Um, Darren, thanks for your time. Don't forget about the show. You can find it, Aaron Weekends, on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. It's also available on Motor Trend Plus, which is a streaming format and a great resource to find us. Uh, thanks to our guest, Darren, from Total Energies. Again, TotalEnergies.com. Our producer, Scoop. Uh, he is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Executive producer, Bob Ecker, for the Two Guys Garage podcast. Yeah, don't forget to check out our website, TwoGuysGarage.com. Share your thoughts with us on social. We're everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage, the Two Guys Garage podcast. It's copyrighted 2023, Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Darren, you are a wealth of knowledge, and we appreciate what you guys are doing to keep our treasured cars, hot rods, race cars, all that stuff together, because, man, it is a big challenge. Hey, Darren, what color, what color is your C6? Uh, the, the graphite gray. Nice. <laughs> My man. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Now, do you have the C6, or you just dream about having it? I had three Corvettes, and I had a, the last one I had, I had to sell to redo my kitchen in my house. Oh, <laughs> oh man. man. Oh. It better be a it nice made, kitchen. It made the wife happy, but uh, yeah. You know, there's more of them out there. There's C7s, there's C8s, so let's see what's yeah. in your future, man. So. I like to stick with the C6s right around the 2008 period. Uh, less less problems, according to most uh, most people. You are in our club, man. Willie and I always talk about those are probably the... The bang for buck, just fantastic machines, uh, highly yeah. underrated, you know? So, giddy up. Yep. All right, I, sir. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for the time, brother. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great evening. All right, we'll see you guys in the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.